Why, hello there. Yes, I am back. Thank you very much to Steve Mulhern for keeping my chair so warm. Uh, thanks to you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. We've been busy this weekend. Stephen Graham tells us everything behind the scenes of Boiling Point. Broadcaster and cooking legend Nigel Slater joins us live to speak to us about his brand new cookbook, A Cook's Book. Comedian Daniel Sloss gives us an insight into his new book, Everyone You Hate Is Going To Die, and a sneak peek of his tour later next year. A children's author, Lauren Child, joins us in the studio to tell us about her brand new Christmas-themed book, Think Like an Elf. But before all of that, let's chat to Maria and solve some more problems in Graham's Guide in just a bit. Graham, I got a tree yesterday, which is A Christmas tree? Uh, Yes, a Christmas tree. (laughs) No, a cherry tree. I I thought your Christmas tree was still up. (laughs) Well, do you know, annoyingly, I kept it and kept it and kept it because, you know, lockdown, um, cheeriness. Then I put it outside and it carried on growing. Three weeks ago, Dead. Oh, you know, Harry Carry before Christmas. I know, really. I will not be humiliated. <laughs> I, will, I'm not I will not be brought inside I'm and dressed up again. I'm not going to do that again with all those little birds and fairy lights. So this is too tall for my little cottage. Oh, but never mind. It's well, so I well, I did the same. I too got tall. A, uh, too tall. I can't decorate it. Yeah, you need a little step ladder. But no. I would need scaffolding. I mean, this thing is enormous. <laughs> Your house is not that big. No, you so, don't live no, in that, St Paul's no, Cathedral. That front room, that front room. I think the ceilings in that front room are about twelve feet high. Yeah. So the right. tree is that high. Okay. Like it gets up to the ceiling, and I'm, like, I'm looking at it, thinking, "Well, that's lovely, but I'm, you know, what star is going to go up there?" You need a nice neighbour to lend you a step ladder with one of those things that you can stand on and then fall off. Graham yeah, knows no. help is coming. No, I mean, that's the I'm too terrified. I'm too scared to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's... And also do you want me to come and spot you? Shall I come and hold the ladder? <laughs> Pass you up a bauble one by one. See, I've got the tree and I thought, oh, that looks nice. And then, because it's so big, then I thought, I have all the decorations at the bottom of the tree. And I thought, I've run out of energy now. So shall I just leave them at the bottom of the tree as some sort of artistic statement? Like a Tracy Emin Christmas tree. Yeah. That'd be lovely. Bauble free, but they're there somewhere. If you can just imagine, using your imagination with my tree, imagine all those things on the floor on my tree. Yeah, I I, honestly... I might pay someone. But isn't it terrible that you get to that point where you kind of think, actually, I see the appeal of an artificial tree now. (laughs) Like, if you just get it out of the... You know the attic in the basement, and just put it up, and no, it's done. No, the bo- the smell of a real tree is just delicious. Um, your show was very good last night on the BBC. You sound surprised. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you sound you sound astonished. I mean, I love the Will Smith one, but he never fails to no, deliver. He's great. I mean, he really is. But last night I thought it was very good. But I, I have a question for you. Um, out of Superman and Spider Man, who do you think has the highest IQ? Ooh, uh, that is a tricky one. Because I, you know, IQ is kind of meaningless. Um, I'm going Spider Man. Spider Man. Okay, good. But I mean, I. Uh, it's difficult because you know Henry. I think you know he. he I, I think he probably has a high IQ, but you know, got knocked around a lot as a child <laughs> by his brothers. <laughs> He doesn't like to use it very often. They're both adorable, by the way. Do you know what? I have to do this because 
Um, I've been hearing it, and I heard last week's deal with Mulhern when somebody won £1,000 on the waitressing. So I've got to have a go. I know waitress won't give me anything, secretly hoping they will. Um, but I have <laughs> it, to... It all depends what you win. Do you want to spin the wheel yourself? I do. OK. Because you... I know you don't like to get up yeah. at your age, no, no, you, so you, I'll come yeah, and do it. Yeah, I'm go. coming over to that part of the studio now. OK. While you're doing that, I will remind you that, of course, Spider-Man's dad is our old friend Dominic Holland. I know. He must be furious that his son got more successful than him. <laughs> well, he was in the audience. Oh, was he? I know. So, so him Did you have wife, a chat with him afterwards? Was, no, I waved from a distance. We're not allowed to meet with the audience. No, I know. That yeah. must be lovely for you now. Oh, it's great. You hate that bit, don't and you? And there's no green room. You can't... I mean, when I see the guests, that's what you see. OK, spin your wheel. No, I set it up. Maria from Hastings. Oh, yes. Oh, Hello, Maria. Graham. Yes, uh, what are you doing this Saturday? Um, I'm going in to do a radio show oh. with an old friend of mine. Who are you? Yeah. Um, OK, I'm really Good looking... Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Okay. This is the atmospheric sound you of the have, wheel. You have to spin it harder than you think. All right. Just, okay. I'm just saying. Here I go. Here I go. Okay, go. Oh, I, that was a very good spin. Very good. No, 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 Maria, no. no not looking Her little hand, her little hand was reaching out. <laughs> to stop it. stop it. Stop it. Oh, there you go. You won a bottle of Lou... What's that? Martin Pouille. Oh, Pouille for me. You won yeah. a bottle of Pouille for me. Stupid competition. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, You've jinxed it if the caller later wins a bottle of Bui Fume. No, I it, think what I've done, caller, who is going to call in, because I want to win, I wanted to win what's on the whole board, yeah. right? That's what I was going for. Um, that's gone now, Puli Fume. So I think I've set it up for a really good person to win. So whoever it is that wins it, share it with me. Well, no, because here's the thing, because I won a bottle of something earlier. When I spin, I did a dummy spin. I won a bottle. Now, you won a bottle. So those are two, I mean, very nice prizes. Lovely, but they're not the £1,000 or the win everything on the board. I know. I want to tot up to see which is the largest. Everything on the board has to be the biggest. Before Christmas, it's a lovely thing to have. Yes. the price of a phone call. Yeah. Have I uh, sold it enough, Graham? Oh, do you know what? If somebody wins everything on the board, they can probably have the board as well. We'll just we'll put that in a van and send Throw it to me your... in as well. Yeah. Yes. They can and, have me too. And Maria will come to your house for Christmas lunch. <laughs> oh, lovely. Virgin Radio. Radio Do you want me to read one of these problems? Because I, I long... think that, you know, you had one job and this is my job. I long for this. Okay. Here we go. You're so good at being sincere. I long for this. <laughs> Hi, Graham and Maria. I've been working at my job for just under a year. It's my first office job. Hooray! I really like everyone and I've become really close with all of them. We often eat lunch together and have had drinks outside of work. Isn't that nice? Mm. Instead of canteen, our office has a kitchen with fridges that are stocked with sandwiches, drinks Uh and snacks. (laughs) All sorted by an external company. It's a self-serve system. You take a sandwich from the fridge and then you scan and pay for it all in the kitchen. I was recently asked by the food company to check the stock as they are noticing some disparaging numbers of money to the food being taken. I did the job, checked the numbers and also came up short on money. So I spoke to my manager and he, she, asked me to scan through the security footage to see if anyone is taking anything without paying. I discovered that one of my colleagues, who I would describe as my, inverted commas, work dad, has been taking sandwiches. I think he's been doing it for a while and sometimes multiple times a day. I know I should tell my boss, but I don't want him to get in trouble. What should I do? And that is from Tessa in High Wycombe. Tessa in High Wycombe. This would make a fabulous film. (laughs) 
I'll, I'll tell Stephen Graham later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sandwich thief. Stephen Graham complained. I think, here's the thing, Tessa in High Wycombe, this is your first job in the office. You love everyone. Of course you do. This is not your responsibility. Your boss asked you to check the security footage. You did as you were told. So you report back to your boss that that is the case. And your work dad, um, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's not your responsibility to say, I feel bad, I don't want to report him. You were asked to do a job. You have done your job. Now tell the t boss and back away. Because, frankly, I... I don't actually think, Graham, this is a sacking offence, so I don't think you need to worry for your work. Because he could just say, oh, I was going to tally it all up at the end of the month. I don't know. There are things I forgot. I'm running short. I don't know. I just don't think it's a sacking offence okay. to have not scanned your sandwich. A few, a few times? A day. I mean, I think it might... <laughs> I mean, he's only hoovering up sandwiches. If you're not going to put a lock on the fridge, I will eat them. It might, he might have misunderstood. I think, I think it will be a written warning. But really, if you're going to go down in a job, don't do it for two M&S sandwiches. Well, that's the problem, isn't at it? At five yeah. quid or whatever. But also, who wrote the letters of Tess? Wrote the letter. Tess, yes. Tess and my Wickham. I poor old Tess. Nice place. I mean, who? I feel sorry for her because how did she become the sandwich police? Like, how did <laughs> that happen? She was asked to scan I think security she was to, footage. No, but uh, but the, before that, the sandwich people said, "Here, Tess, can you check up the? Can you tally the sandwiches with the money?" Like. Was she, was she just standing in the wrong place at the wrong time and this has ended up being her job? It or... may be part of her job description. I wouldn't think it's her full-time job because that would be ridiculous. Maybe and... she'll get sacked because she did such a terrible job of... <laughs> of... Scan monitoring. Yeah, scan monitoring. Um, look, I think what's ha it's too late now, Tess. It's happened. Your boss is going to come to you and go, well, what did you see on the footage? And then you need to show him and kind of go, well, does this look like he's, you know... You, you, you know, with your human eyes, you have seen this. Yes. You cannot unsee it, you know, unless you're going to wipe the footage and kind of go, weirdest thing, That's what actually. would happen in drama. That's what happens in the film. Yeah, the tapes were stored with magnets and uh, it's all <laughs> Good, gone well now. well done. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> I think you, you either take the rap yourself, Tess. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tess, no. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. You have to just say, look... You have done your job. And frankly, the process of scrolling through all of that footage of Sandwichgate, you deserve a pay rise and a promotion because yes. scrolling through security footage is so dull. You've done your job, pass it on. Pass on the problem. Yes, you feel sorry for your work, Dad, but someone else is going to deal with it. This is not your responsibility I mean, you could, to feel bad you about. I mean, you could go, you know, given you were saying there are excuses to be made, you could go to work, Dad, and go, uh, word to the wise, I'm going to have to... No. I've no, no, no! Don't get involved, because that's like giving. She's him a... involved. No, I know. She's but don't a sandwich get in... police. Don't get it involved in the telling off or the warning, because then he's in his getaway car and he's out of here. Yeah, exactly. You all know how that film ends, right? No, yeah, what? Oh, they drive over a cliff. <laughs> They're really hungry because they haven't taken the sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, we drove we away too quickly. No, you give him time to come up with his, um, oh, I am a silly. I thought uh, it just got automatically taken off. Of the, I thought yeah. it, he could say, I am a silly. I thought it was like a hotel minibar where you took the thing out. You were immediately charged for it. Yeah, yeah, Graham. But that's not her place to, to hear his excuse. It's the boss's. What I want Tess to do, this is her first office job. This is really good advice. Step away from anything to do with this. You've done your quit. job. quit. 
No, no, no. You've done your job. Tell your manager what you saw and then <gasps> never mention it to anyone again. Certainly don't give your work dad the heads up, even though you might be tempted to. Also, here's the thing. What a stupid system. What a ridiculous, <laughs> moronic system. Like, of course this is going to go wrong. It's an honesty fridge. I mean, no, you open a fridge because we'll just have that, won't I? I mean, just it's it's so wrongheaded. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it was to stop people eating other people's things, which also causes massive rows in yeah. office politics. But um, you know, they, they should have some sort of security tag on the sandwiches so you can't open them unless or, they've been paid for. Or a nice, useful, acceptable trolley service. Yeah. And then you'd employ another person possibly Tess, now that she's so good with sandwiches, uh, she can <laughs> push her trolley round. I, and, you know, would you like something sweet as well? Something sweet? Yeah. A giant some lovely cookie, rice pudding cook, today. Cookie the, cookie the size of a dinner plate? Yes, only been there four weeks. Um, I would like someone from Human Resources to tell me if this is a sacking event. I, I'll tell you right now, it is. Oh. Yeah. What if, what if he's got an exemplary record, Graham? Well, he's still stealing sandwiches. He's ruined it. It's an error. He's going through a terrible crisis at home. Oh, maybe. He's got health problems and money problems. What should she do? OK, Jay has been in touch. Jay thinks it could all be an innocent mistake. It could be an innocent mistake. Because Jay says, I used to help myself to the complimentary small chocolates in a bowl at my local coffee shops. After ten months, I was informed they cost 80p each. <laughs> thief! Thief! Stop, thief! Uh, <laughs> I like that no one stopped you. you <laughs> boldly eating them. Wow. Uh, Jeff's in Taunton. Uh, regarding Sandwichgate, please tell Tess that snitches get stitches. No! Uh, no, that's... No, no, Jeff in Taunton. That might be the Taunton way. Not here at Virgin Radio UK. No. Uh, oh, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Tracy has been in touch. Tracy is... A HR director. Oh, oh, Maria will be excited that an actual HR director has been in touch. More than once isn't a mistake. Oh, she's firm but fair, Tracy, HR director, isn't she? Tess, let your boss know and then step back. Work dad could put all colleagues under, under suspicion and investigate it if she doesn't raise this. Well, that is true. And, and I mean... You know, the proof's there. You were asked to look at the footage. Unless you blinked several times at the wrong time, you know who did this. Uh, Janet says, uh, Tess must tell her work dad before she reports Sandwichgate. It's bound to come out that she's the dobber and everyone will hate her unless she's got work dad's support. I must say, I don't think there's anything wrong in alerting to work dad that you're about to be in trouble. So at least it can gird his loins and, you know, come up with an excuse or, you know, whatever. Uh, James in Enfield also says, without a doubt, Tess should give her work dad the quiet nod. He's been good to her and that is the least she can do in return. Gives him a chance to put things right before the guillotine falls. Ooh. Graham's Guide. Here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, a school friend of mine got engaged quite quickly. He met his partner in July and they were engaged by Christmas. Goodness. They are definitely in love and I don't doubt they are meant to be together. 
They are planning their wedding and I appreciate that can be very expensive. We have known each other a long time and have never pressured each other to spend more money than we have, knowing we didn't all have money growing up and now as adults earn very different amounts. He still wants to come to everything and be involved, but sometimes these things are expensive and he doesn't want to spend the money because he's saving, obviously, for the wedding. He's become so cheap. Another friend hosted a dinner party recently and he brought along a bottle of wine, as you normally would, but then he took the bottle home at the end of the night because it was only half drunk. <laughs> he claims his partner is really strict and a bit tight-fisted, but that doesn't seem to be the case. We've met his partner and they have no issue spending money. Some money. His penny-pinching is getting in the way of the rest of us hanging out. We aren't saving for a wedding and just want to enjoy ourselves. Do we tell him to only come to some things he can afford or just hope he can spend money again after the wedding next year? <laughs> and that is from, I think that might be Tony in crew. It says here Tory in crew. It could be Tory. You're yeah. short for Victoria. Yeah, yeah Tory in crew. Um, Tory in crew, well, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Taking a bottle of wine to a dinner party and then taking it home again. I mean, taking it home again with the cork in... Mm, but... I, I went to a dinner party once uh. and someone brought a bottle of wine and kept it under their chair because it was too good for the rest of us. Get out of here! You wouldn't have appreciated it. No, but no, the, the, the very fact that you knew... Oh, so it wasn't your dinner party. No. But people knew that it was under the chair. Well, you know, he told us, I think. I, I, we certainly knew it was under his chair. And then and he, did he take it away again? No, he drank it. Oh, he drank it? Yeah, he drank it because... On it was, his own? Yeah, because his palate... Uh, was sufficiently educated to appreciate no. the lovely wine. That's that's that springs to mind a word I cannot say on the radio. <laughs> but um, also, I would imagine he wasn't invited back. Well, why was he ever invited? Yeah, really. Why would you be friends with that person? I know. It was anyway, in a, it was Tory. in Australia. Back there, I'll leave Victorian it there. Victorian crew um, taking off of wine and taking home is cheap. Um, listen, I don't think he should be excluded, Tory, from things, but. It just has to be made very clear that he needs to pay his way, as the rest of you do and as you always have. Then he has the choice of whether to attend or not. If something is going to break his wedding bank, then obviously he shouldn't go. Um, I don't know when they're getting married. Clearly, Tory and crew is very keen for this to happen, but then there'll be a baby in a house. Well, it's next year. There's always something to say for. I, I just think, you know... A dinner party should be a thing where everyone can go to, everyone can enjoy because, you know, somebody's bought the food and it's lovely. It's very generous for someone to have a dinner party. You go to the... So weird to turn it into a thing. I guess he looked at the half bottle of wine and thought, oh, I could have that at home because there's no wine in the house. Yeah. But No, that's cheap. That's rubbish. Uh, yeah. But I think the whole thing that Tori is saying is that they all go out as a gang and maybe they go to restaurants that do a set yes. meal or they, they go for a weekend away. And these are all things that he doesn't want... He, he doesn't want to be excluded from. He, doesn't, he wants to come, but he hasn't got the money or is not dipping into his pocket. Basically, he's become rather tight, whereas previously he wasn't because... He's saving for the wedding. You can't have it both ways. You're either saving for your wedding or you're living your life. Yes, there has to be... Yes, exactly that. There has to be a bit of give and take. If you are saving for a wedding, then you don't go to everything. 
that just makes sense. Yeah. You know, I'm saving for a wedding, so I won't come on that weekend away or, ooh, that restaurant's a bit out of my league. I won't come to that one, but I will go to pizza night with you all when you're going to wherever. You know, that kind of thing. I like your window onto their world. Yeah, Graham. pizza night. It's pizza night. Pizza night. Pizza and jazz. Pizza and jazz. Do you think they, they have Chinese they night it. as well? And <laughs> no, 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 no. Doesn't agree. Doesn't agree with Tory. Oh, no. No, doesn't agree with Oh, her. it's Tory rather than tight it, thing. Yeah, Tory. No, yeah, to- Tory. <laughs> Tori sets the agenda. <laughs> she doesn't like Chinese food. He sh- he must be excluded, but he you mustn't tiptoe around him if he's not paying his way. You must say, look, mate, we know you're saving for your wedding, of course, but you chose to come on this gig to Margate yeah. for the weekend, so you got to cough up. Tori loves Margate. I know. She loves it. <laughs> I don't know if Tori is a girl or a boy. <laughs> I'm thinking well, boy. In Margate, in, in Margate, it won't doesn't matter. matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. It's the beauty of Margate, Graham. That is the beauty of Margate. They just accept anyone. <laughs> yes. Uh, Tori, if you've got advice for Tori um, and her, her cheap friend, who I just think you celebrate the fact he's getting married, you make it a good thing rather than a bad thing. Just say, oh, is it Margate? Marvellous, you're getting married. Uh, what a pity you can't come to this weekend away. You know, just... Uh, yeah. Uh, or say, once you're married, you'll be able, you'll be invited back to these things because you'll have a bit of cash. Yeah, but then, of course, then you're divorced and you lose all your money and then that's the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, lots Debbie of... Debbie Downer yeah, over there. Lo- David Downer. Lots of fun. Lots of fun to come. Uh, what do people think? Here we go. Billy in Dundee says, Tory must confront her friend. Oh, maybe a gentle word. I, I, hands on hips in the hall you uh, inform them that there is no more freeloading if they want the big wedding then they must save for it and pick other events to attend where possible but no one is going to pay for them Billy and Dundee I mean don't mess with him uh, Joe's in Bournemouth <laughs> I, I do understand what Joe is saying I think it depends how much you want him around in all friendship groups, there are better friends than others. That's so true. So if he's one of those, then just help him out if you want him at all the events. If you're not that fast, then just don't invite him to everything. Tell him why you aren't inviting him. And I do think that's the point of this thing. You've got to be upfront about this. You've got to just say... This is going to cost you X amount. Are you happy to pay that? Because I know you're saving for a wedding. Don't... Yeah, I think ignoring the problem is making you all resentful and him being a bit weird and it's all... Just be open about this. Uh, Samantha is in York. Uh, Tori, this friend of yours sounds like they're using their partner as an excuse because they're saying the partners meet her. But in fact, Tori says partners very nice when they meet the partner, lovely. Uh, when they're actually the cheapskate, who takes wine back after a dinner party? You've got to confront them. That's ridiculous. There's a lot of confrontation, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of confrontation. Well, uh, OK, if that's what you want to do, confront, you do that. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. Time to be my first guest of the day. He is one of our best actors. He's Stephen Graham. His new movie is called Boiling Point, and he's on the line now. Hello, Stephen Graham. <laughs> Hello, Graham. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm fine, thank you. Uh, congratulations on this movie. What an extraordinary achievement! I mean, it is just thank amazing. You. Before we get to the 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 whys and the hows, I guess tell us about the movie. So you play the chef. Andy Jones on the, the busiest night of the year in a restaurant. Yeah, um, yeah, that's it. And it, you basically the, the audience just go on this journey 
um, with for the next hour and 20 minutes and just get a snippet of, of Andy's life and the, and the environment that he works in and, and what kind of, you know, as it all unfolds, we get to see what's been going on for Andy, what's going on in his home life, what's happening in work and all the pressures of his his kind of, you know, his life just pile up on this one particular evening over the course of this one hour and 20 minutes. And it's kind of in the title, you know, everything comes to a boiling point kind yeah. of thing, really. Well, it's all these pressures on him. I mean, he's got the, the, I mean, it starts with the hygiene inspector and then his old boss is there. I mean, it's everything yeah. happens. Yeah. Yeah, and it can, you know, and, and we get to discover little bits of information as it unfolds. You see that his relationship with his child is not brilliant and his, his ex-wife and alimony and, you know, he's he's kind of got himself in a lot of debt. And also, you know, it's kind of based on a lot of truth. Phil, our fantastic director, Philip Barantini, he, he was a chef for a while um, and he uses a lot of his own personal experiences. I'm sure he won't mind me saying, you know, the things that he's been through and things that he's seen other chefs go through and, and kind of the pressures in that in that world, you know what I mean? Yeah. And what it entails, really. No, because I, I mean, I worked in restaurants for eight years and I thought it was brilliant. It really captures... Oh, thanks, Graham. It really captures that thing of the stress of service. You know, that kind of lull before everybody comes in and then the stress. But uh, talking of stress, let's get to the, the, big, the big thing about this film, that it's one take. So before yeah. I get to the how, why did... I, I mean, Philip directed it as well. W- was it his idea he wanted to do it in one take? Yeah, it was. Um, it, it kind of, you know, the embryo of this was was a, a while ago now. It was a short film that we did, first of all. And it was all, Phil wanted to be a director. Um, and he was a great actor, but he wanted to be a director. And he said, look, I've got this idea of shooting this little film in one take, uh, set in a restaurant. What, would you do it? And I was like, um, how long are you going to take? And he said, five days to rehearse and then shoot for the day. And I went, I'll give you three days. He's like, oh, oh, okay then. All right, yeah. So we did it. Um, and lovely, you know, the, the great thing from that was Phil got a, a, an agent, a great agent. Um, and now, then we got offered to turn it into a feature. It, it's just, it's the most exhilarating time I've ever had uh, doing any kind of film and, or any kind of stage production. And as well with every single one of the actors, you know, it's such an ensemble game as you, you've seen it. So, you yeah. know. All of these great actors are in this in this film, and you know I don't want to sound pretentious in any way, shape, or form. But Stanislavski says there's no such thing as small uh, roles, only small actors, and that's really that's really true within this piece because everyone has a moment, and every single person is integral to the story that we're telling. And it was just such a great, you know, the camaraderie, and it was just before lockdown. It was just before the whole thing kicked in and it was just, it was, it was the most amazing experience I've ever felt doing any kind of anything creative, really, if I'm honest. But like watching it, I mean, oddly, you do forget about it. Oddly, it works. You get immersed in the story and you follow it through. But even at the beginning, when you were conscious of it, at the beginning, I was very aware of what you guys were doing. And there's so many things that could go wrong. I mean, how many false starts did you have? Not that many, if I'm honest, but, you know, there's always that kind of thing as well. I mean, literally, you know, when you open the oven, the oven's hot. It's on. It's actually a working oven. Um, And it's not like one of them where you go, oh, no, Johnson, can you just turn this down, please, and get it ready for me? It's none of that nonsense. You know what I mean? It's hot. It's a hot oven. You have to take the dish out. Um, And so everyone is on the peak of their game because nobody wants to be that person that gets it wrong. And we have to start again. Do you know what it means? 
Wow. And did you, I mean, was there a point in the hour and 20 minutes where you're kind of in it and you kind of knew, right, this is the, this is the one. It's not, nothing's going to go wrong. We're going to keep going. Um, yeah, we, we, I think we only had a stumble on the second take. Um, and the one that we actually used, the one that, that is the film, is the fair take. Um, and that was on the second day. Um, and it was the penultimate take before we were shut down because that was it. You know, Boris had said, that's it, everything stops. Yeah. So that was the penultimate take. We did one more after that, which personally I don't think we should have did, but we did. Um, and the third one was the best, you know what I mean? So it was just, it was, we, when, you, when we knew that we had it, when, we, when everything felt right uh, performance-wise from every single one of the cast and all the crew, you know, the sound department were magnificent. But I have to give a special shout-out to our DOP, the cameraman, Matt, I think, you know, he's a young man. He's only 24. He was 23 when we did it. So what a wonderful achievement that was for him, do you know what I mean? And what a great thing for him to take on. Yeah, because even things like at the beginning where you're out in the cold and then you walk into the restaurant, you know, the chances of cameras steaming up and, you know, just all that kind of weird stuff that could go wrong. Yeah, all of those technical elements that you really have to take into consideration. And then, you know, there's also the kind of thing of... You imagine we've we've got boom operators as well running rounds, running behind our camera operator to make sure that they're not in the shot or there's wow. no shadows. And you know it, what we have to do is we we really choreographed it over like a course of a few days, and then it literally, you know, it does. It becomes like a ballet. Do you know what I mean? You, it's it's a dance. It's a movement because every single movement has to be precise and you have to make sure that you're on time to get there for that point so the camera can pick you up. And then as you move forward, the camera travels with you. So it, it becomes this kind of really fluid, lucid dance, do you know what I mean, in a way? No, I mean, it is a phenomenal achievement. It's just, it, 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 but like I say, you kind of forget about it. I, I'm sure, <laughs> I, I don't know whether that's good or bad, given the trouble you that's went That's brilliant. <laughs> no, that, that's, no, that's absolutely brilliant because you, you do want the audience to get immersed in the story then, do you know what I mean? And it's not like we're not doing it for a technique or just to show how clever we are or, or any kind of trickery purpose. It's to, it's, it really adds to the pressure of the film, do you know what I mean? It becomes, in a way, it's kind of a voyeuristic element which becomes a, a character within the film, I feel, personally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because we get sneaky little peeks of all different kinds of things. And what's brilliant is it is getting a cinema release. It's going to be in cinemas on the 7th of January, which is brilliant. Yeah, 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 which is really great. And it's, you know, it's only in small selected cinemas. It'll be in kind of art house cinemas. But the beauty of this game is this, you know, look, personally, you know, I feel that the British independent film is slightly a dying breed. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's more and more difficult to get films made these days. It really is. You know, you, you've got to contend with the huge blockbusters. Look, I'm taking Alfie and his mates this afternoon to go and watch one of them loads of like Martians and aliens and all that kind of <laughs> things. You know what I mean? It's superheroes, the, the great family entertainment, but it's so difficult for, for a small production company or a collective of production companies to get films made these days, which are, which have got a bit of heart and soul and some integrity. It's really difficult. So in, in itself, personally, I feel it was a wonderful achievement by all of us. And for it to get a cinema release on top of that is just a double-added bonus, do you know what I mean? Now, uh, one of the reasons I really enjoyed Body Pod is uh, my friend Gary Lamont's in it. Uh, he, yes. Yeah. And talking of challenges, let's talk about uh, the BBC uh, Two show you were at, The North Water. Because uh, yeah. that, I mean, you know, you think doing a, 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 a film, an hour and 20 minute film in one take is hard. Uh, talk to us about where you went and how difficult it was to make that show. 
I mean, again, you know, what I, I feel very blessed and very lucky to have these amazing experiences. You know, as a kid growing up in in, in Kirby, I never, ever, ever ride my bike to me, my BMX to my <laughs> nana's house. I never thought one day I'd be on a ship going towards the North Pole. You know what I mean? It just never entered my consciousness. So it was just, it was such an amazing experience that was. We went to Svalbard and then we, which is the most northern tip of civilization really and then after that you're kind of you're out in the wilderness you know what i mean it it was amazing um the conditions as you can imagine was it's it's the vastness as well you know that complete space yeah just just looking into that into that that non-stop continuous landscape of ice and sky was just mind-blowing and i'll never ever you know it, it, it again it's one of those things that you never think you're going to be you, you're going to get to see or you but when you get told to stay uh inside at lunchtime please because there's a polar bear over the starboard side <laughs> was that, that was again that was something i never thought i'd see so but to see a polar bear outside in the wild was was a wonderful experience and, and again you know what a fantastic crew and what a what an amazing cast to work with oh and the, and the acting, the acting. i mean it is incredible because you kind of think just being there would be enough <laughs> but then you had to act <laughs> you had to, yes and you had to do stuff uh yeah yeah you're great Ned, and it's the best thing colin farrell has done in years I just oh think. he's majestic isn't he oh. he's absolutely brilliant and the amount of weight what a wonderful man actually by the way do you know what i mean what a lovely human being i i, I spent well, you do. You spend a lot of time with each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you kind of you kind of trapped in this on the ship. You're not trapped, but you're on the ship, and you you, you know you, you were, we were together for four and a half weeks at sea. We literally sailed at sea for four and a half weeks. So you really get to know someone. And I just thought he was a wonderful man. And, and he put I think he put three stone on for that role. Wow. Um, and he and he just looked magnificent. And he, you know his character was brilliant. Yeah. It, was, it really was. And Jack O'Connell. He was amazing as well, and the whole cast were lovely. Uh, so, so I, Gary was I, great. I think, yeah, Gary Lamont, marvellous. <laughs> I love Gary. Uh, but uh, I think that's available on iPlayer. So tell me this, the, you produced uh, Boiling Point. So have you got more things? Are there more things in the works? Are there more stuff coming? Yes, yeah, we 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 have. Uh, me and my wife Anna, we kind of said. Who's also in Boiling Point? We should say. Yes, she yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, she's she's great in it. There's a wonderful scene between her and Stephen, which is beautiful in the kitchen. Not that little intimate scene between them. So I think that's that's my favourite moment in the whole film. Um, but we we did we set this production company up now maybe a year ago I think. And our ethos, if you look at the film as well, which which you you can back me up on. If you look at it, you'll see the eclecticness of the cast. Um, and the diversity within that cast. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and we wanted to make a fair representation of a London working kitchen. And there's all different creeds, cultures, ethnicities within that film. Um, and hopefully, you know, look, that's what we want to try and do. We want to try and create opportunities for not just people from ethnic backgrounds, but also working class backgrounds, because it's very difficult these days for, you know, look, I was really lucky. I had the great support of my mum and dad. Um, and also, you know, grants were given out back in them days. Yeah. And if I hadn't, had, if I hadn't had such a supportive mum and dad, there's no way I'd be doing what I'm doing today. Do you know what I mean? So we want to try and create opportunities and give people the chance to try and, you know, at least have a go at following their dream. 
I'm yeah, I know, what you, I know what you mean because like, now you've got to think, job. how do kids do it now? Because you do need a, like a exactly. trust fund if you want to go to drama school. It's Yeah, it's of mad. Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. And it's really difficult. So we want to try and just create certain opportunities. There's a, there's a project which we hopefully, you know, I can't say too much about, but which will hopefully come out towards the next year when we'll start filming. And within that as well, one of the ethoses and theories that we have is we'd like to make sure that every department gets a trainee um, and they can give someone an opportunity to learn about that particular skill set which is needed for that job. Do you yeah. know what I mean? That's one of the things what we really want to push and try and try and help out for in the future. Because look, there's a lot of work out there, don't get me wrong, and which is great. But I've heard people say, I've heard producers say that, you know, the, the crew, they just can't get the crew. We can't get the staff. So it's a great opportunity to try and create these jobs and these these give people a chance, basically, is what we're trying to do. Do you know what I mean? Well, I must say, Stephen, like, Boiling Point is what an amazing calling card for you and your company that <laughs> you can, oh, you can thank like, you. we made this, we did this. Listen, a lovely to talk to you, sir. Take care of yourself. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks very much. All you right. Too. Cheers. Bye, bye now. Bye-bye. 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 The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. My second guest of the day, Nigel Slater. Hello, Nigel Slater. Hello, Graham. Uh, now, uh, Cook's book is your beautiful uh, new book. This seems to me quite definitive. Do you ever worry when you write a book like this, you kind of think, oh, no one will buy another one because <laughs> it's it's all in this one? It n- was never meant to be 500 pages, I have to say. It just, it just went on. Partly because it is a little bit autobiographical. Yes, there's lots of stories. It's very rich. I mean, it's, it's one of those books where there's lots of recipes and lots of pictures, but lots of text. You can actually read it. Not just writing recipes, but writing about them yeah. and, and where they came from. I do like writing a little story with each recipe. Yeah. It's something but, I've always done. Well, also because I think that's the way you cook, isn't it? Because you're not... You, if you weren't Nigel Stacer, you know, famous chef, food writer, you would still be cooking. Absolutely. I, I mean, I cook every day and I know there's lots of delicious food out there that you can just go and buy, but I never think not to cook. It's kind of part of my DNA. I've cooked since I was a tiny little boy. Yes, you talk in the book about that when you started. I mean, you wrote a recipe incredibly young, didn't you? I did. In fact, the first recipe I wrote down, I sent it to um, the Jimmy Young Show. Oh! That is in, so, the late 60s, early 70s. What, what was it? Was it the thing about, uh, this is what you do, Fernando or Fernando? That's right. I think it was a chipmunk or something yes. that said, what's the recipe today, Jim? Yeah. And he would read out... Step by step, a recipe. I mean, simpler times, but he, he used to do this. <laughs> hey, we're doing while the Collison show chef. The feature lives on. <laughs> Absolutely, and I love it. Um, and I remember writing the recipe out and sending it in, never dreaming that I would hear it read out on the radio on the Jimmy Young show. So yes, I, it's been um, it's been many years. I've been writing them down. Wow. And when you cook at home now, do you? I mean, not you don't, you don't need to use the recipes, I guess, but do you delve back into your books for inspiration or are you always cooking new things or do you have, like, favourites? I have favourites and that's part of the point of this book was to collect all those favourites in, in one place because they're scattered through 16 or 17 cookbooks. But also I think recipes move on and I look at things and think, gosh, that had a lot of sugar in. Or did I really need to use that much cream? So, so <laughs> yes, you, you, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so you do, you know, I tweak recipes and change them. Yeah. Because what I love about your recipe, butter and salt, 
In my, in my head, that's Nigel Slater. It's butter and salt. Absolutely. <laughs> the best thing in the world, a piece of toast with butter and salt on it is just the best. Oh. Um, and it's interesting you say that thing about, you know, recipes change. Da, 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 da. You, I, I, I feel like this is very true to you, that you're not trendy. You don't seem to be swayed by, mo- you know, food movements. <laughs> I do watch <laughs> food movements. Uh, and, and sometimes I just laugh at them. Sometimes, yeah, I think... You know, I think they're fun. Um, and I like the fact that cooking is a little bit lighter. It's not so heavy, not so meat-based. I love the fact that vegetarian cooking and vegan cooking has become mainstream. But I also like cake. And I like my treats and pies and puddings and always will. Yes, I love those. Uh, what's the name of your pie chapter? Something about everyone has oh, a pie or you can't beat a um, pie or sometimes yeah, the pie is right or something. It is, yes, there just has to be pie. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I was surprised, actually, um, you know, given that you, it doesn't matter who, what the chef is now, there is this kind of pressure to put lots of vegetarian and vegan recipes in. There's still a chunk of meat in here. There's meat feasts. There's a whole chapter on chickens. And yeah, that's right. I want it to be I wanted it to be balanced. I wanted something in there for everybody. So, that, yes, there are vegan recipes, there are vegetarian recipes. But, you know, there's still people wanting to cook that big Sunday lunch, that big piece of meat, the yeah. feast. Um, and I wanted that to be in there as well. Um, can I just ask, this is such a pathetic question. There's a cupboard in here. <laughs> Let me show you the picture yes. of the cupboard. Uh, oh, no, I can't find it. Oh, no, it's just after this. Oh, where is it? It's that beautiful cupboard, and it's... Oh, there it is. Is that in your house, that lit-up cupboard? Yes. So that's the cupboard where I put all my um, cereal bowls and pudding bowls and plates. And it's a bit tidy there, isn't it? It's gorgeous. And does that light come on when you open the door? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I know I know we should be talking about food. I'm just having house envy. That is lovely. I I, I like cupboards. I bought a house that has lots of cupboards. <laughs> and and I do enjoy keeping them tidy. When I've got a deadline, when there is something really important to do, I will go and tidy a cupboard. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and during lockdown, because you know we, we weren't cooking for groups, are you do you cook differently if you're just cooking by yourself? I mean, I always cook for myself. I will always make myself some, something to eat. Yeah. Um, but yes, I was cooking slightly differently. Um, cooking, I suppose, if I knew I was cooking a recipe for six, I knew I was going to be eating it for the next six days. So yes, I, 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 did, um, I did edit recipes a little bit. But I didn't change that much. I've got a great row of local shops, which I use all the time. Okay. So I can just pop out to the shops. It's not as if I have to do a big, a big weekly shop. Oh, so you're not that guy. You just... Yeah, I'm I'm the guy who goes to the shop twice a day. You're an on foot for on foot shopper. Totally. Yes. Do you have a car? No. Okay. I haven't driven um probably for about 40 years. <laughs> I wouldn't start now, Nigel. <laughs> no, I'm no it, it would be a mess. It really would. No, cuz I th- that when I cuz I learned to drive I did it the opposite way. I didn't start to drive till I was 40. And the first thing I noticed was how much stuff you buy when you've got a car. When you don't have oh, to ca- yeah. when you don't have to carry it. Like suddenly my food shopping changed s- yeah, significantly. This is like ordering online, isn't it? Dangerous. It's very dangerous. Do you do that? A little bit. I do it for the boring stuff. Oh, okay. I do it for sort of household Heavy things. Heavy things. Heavy things, household <laughs> things. Things that aren't fun to choose. Oh, OK. OK. It's a bit early for this, but I'll ask you. Uh, Christmas Day. Do you... Do, is it a big 
deal in Nigel Sater's house or is it just a day off? Christmas is always a big deal for me. OK. Because I love it. I can't wait to get the tree up. And there's all the traditional things, Christmas pudding, mince pies. They are unshakable, unmovable parts of Christmas. OK. Is your Christmas pudding made already? My Christmas pudding is made. In fact, it's last year's pudding that has been sitting quietly in the larder with a cloth on, just waiting for its moment. Did you not eat it last year or did you make it like sort of, you know, on Boxing Day? I made two. So one for last year, one for this year, which is what my mum did. There was always next year's Christmas pudding on on the shelf. Wow. And do you do the whole, you know, brandy, flaming? Absolutely. You see, Christmas pudding is something that I can eat 365 days a year. Okay. It's one of my very favourite things. And I know some people don't like it, but I absolutely adore okay, it. So that's in the bag. You've done that. Dessert sure. is ready. You don't need to worry about it. Yeah. Um, there's, a, you know, every chef has a different approach to uh, turkey. You know, Nigella keeps hers in a bucket. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jamie wraps his in bacon. Uh, what do you do? Um, roast it slowly. I, also, I don't buy a very big turkey. Okay. I remember the ones my parents had were so big you could barely get them in the oven. In fact, I think one year we couldn't. Um, I go for a much smaller bird and roast it for, for, for a, a longer time. When you say a smaller bird, you mean a smaller turkey or just a smaller bird? Well, I like goose and I like turkey. What I really like about goose is all the fat that yeah. you pour off and you store and keep it for roasties the you're next like a, week. You're like a, a drug dealer. <laughs> you're, like, you're like a pusher. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the fat and the sugar. Mm, but it and butter. is, mm. absolutely. <laughs> um, there was some American chef, she was asked about, you know, how to cook turkey. And her thing was, it doesn't matter. It will never taste great. Just shove it in the oven. Does. But do you know the best bit about turkey and all the things that go with it? The little, the little sausages wrapped in bacon, the pigs in blankets, the roasties that get stuck to the tin. It's all those things. Even the stuffing. I love stuffing. Uh, sprouts. A yeah, recipe for sprouts. Absolutely sprouts. What, what do you do with the sprouts? I try not to get them near water. So I cut them in half and I cook them in a frying pan in bacon fat. OK. So cook them slowly and keep turning them over. I think they were never meant to meet water. So boiling is our that's our error. I think so. Yes, I think just slowly cook them in fat on the hob over a low heat and let them soak up all the bacony flavours. Okay. And what time of day is your Christmas lunch ready? Always about an hour later than I said it would be. <laughs> it's a meal of so many parts, and yeah. there's always the bit that you forget. You know, you suddenly forget you you know about the bread sauce or whatever. So it does take really quite, you quite do a all time. of that stuff. Oh, absolutely. It's because I like the accompaniments, dare I say it, more than I like the meat. I met one year, I thought maybe it was your recipe, no, it was, uh, I think it was a Delia bread sauce recipe yeah. I used. One year I thought, oh, you know what, this bread sauce thing that people talk about, I'll make it. Never again. It brought <laughs> nothing to the party. Do you, I mean, you genuinely like it? I do like it, but you've got to season it. You've got to put some cloves in there, some onion, a little bit of cinnamon, bay leaves... Yeah. I think Delia had nutmeg in hers. Oh, yes. Yeah. You can trust Delia. Yeah, no, I mean, I did trust it. I mean, I made it. I just, you know, I sure. wasn't sure why. <laughs> no, it, it has its fans. I'm one of them. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. And when you, you know, what are the things, when you go out with this book and you do, you know, presumably you are able to do some, are you, have you done some events with this book? I've done some signings. I was yeah. in Bath um, the other day at the most wonderful bookshop that used to be a Quaker meeting house and is now the bookshop of my dreams called Toppings. And it's just fabulous. Oh, that sounds gorgeous. And, and, and 
a lovely long line of people who brought who brought gifts. They made bread and cakes and. Do they make your recipes and then give them to you? Very often they're theirs. Yes, but okay. they, they are mine too. Yes. <laughs> and when it comes to questions, what are the things that people like stop you in the street to ask you? What What are the What are the 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 go to problems in the kitchen? Um, very often I'm I'm asked about cakes, about baking, um, in particular about bread, because as you know, everybody is now baking yeah um but also i'm continually asked is that your kitchen we see on television <laughs> bit like i just asked you so I break, is that I, covered exactly I, I i break their hearts yes <laughs> but so that's not your kitchen on television no it's not but you that's your kitchen in the book absolutely absolutely i i decided that's telly ready just for the f- well very low ceilings though oh a nightmare for that man with the with the microphone yes and also the lighting wouldn't be kind nigel <laughs> With a low, you need a high ceiling for lighting. And that's why I'm doing radio. <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've got lighting here. Why? Why? Uh, Nigel Slater, thank you very much for coming to see us. A cook's book is everything... It really is kind of definitive. Everything you've ever wanted is in this book. Sadly, you will not need to buy another book, which is a mistake, I feel. A rookie error by putting too much in it. Uh, it is out now. A cook's book, Nigel Slater. Merry, I think we can say Merry Christmas now, can't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Have a lovely time. There's still a lot to squeeze in, including the Waitrose Wheelie Merry Christmas competition. And we hear from Lauren Child as she has released a new children's book, Think Like an Elf. And comedian Daniel Sloss tells us about his brand new book, Everyone You Hate Is Going to Die. But before all that, let's see what Martha's been up to in the kitchen. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I'm feeling, I mean, festive is too big a word. We've got some tinsel around the microphone. I know, I love that. Do you? (laughs) I do. I love a bit of tinsel. (laughs) Okay. Uh, There's just a whiff of old people's home about it, I think. (laughs) Uh, Now, uh, whether it be a a large gathering or that you're just having family, you are going party food Mm. today. I've made you a party trolley for one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. This is my life. Oh, so much fun. Um, yeah, party food today. I feel like over the Christmas period, you are bound to either be invited to a party where they say bring something, or you might be hosting your own party. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel the pressure to make everything from scratch. I do not feel that pressure. <laughs> Maybe that's because I am a chef. But even as a chef, it's like I can't. You can't do everything from scratch, or you'll be cooking for like three days in the yeah. lead up to your and party. And it's just—it's just food. People, you know, they'll be drunk and they won't really <laughs> yeah. appreciate it. They, yeah, yeah. You just need a few little things. So I've got three different canapes for you today. Mm, canapes, ladies and gentlemen. Canapes. Winter canapes. I'm calling these substantial canapes. They really are. Instead of being just a little tiny posh bite, it's like a proper. That will fill you up because if you're not planning on giving your guests a meal, you want them to leave feeling full. No, also soakage, Martha. Soakage. <laughs> yeah. That's it's what they need. Strategic, really. It's strategic. Isn't it? <laughs> Otherwise, everyone gets a bit messy. No, you need soakage. Uh, so, what are we using as soakage? So, we've got three different ones. Um, we've got kind of one which is a bought, buy from Waitrose. Don't do anything to it. Just serve it as is. And these are some lovely little vegan pies. So, especially Ooh. if you've got vegan guests coming, these are really delicious. One of them's got leek and sweet potato. One of them's got mushroom and tomato. Those are really nice and then there's the kind of half and half so one that's been a little bit prepped for you but you've done most of the work and these are some beef and caramelized onion sliders some lovely slow cooked beef but you can buy that kind of ready slow cooked so that you just have to heat it up and then you add all the lovely bits yourself do the onions do the other things which i'll talk about a bit later okay and then there's the from scratch which is some coconut crusted prawns with a mango mayonnaise oh i can't wait to eat this right i'm gonna shovel this down my gob and then we'll find out how to make it okay let's go to to the uh, 
the beef and caramelised onion sliders. Mm. Okay, so we buy the beef, it's already been slow cooked and yeah yeah it's already been slow cooked it's called beef brisket and it's kind of comes vacuum packed they're really good because they last a long time because they're vacuum packed so if you don't get around to cooking it you can have it a bit a few weeks later and it won't be a problem oh lovely but that goes into the oven whilst that's cooking you want to make some beer braised onions so slice up an onion nice and fine kind of put that into a saucepan with some brown sugar some dark beer and a little bit of salt and then just leave that for 20 minutes to simmer down and become nice and sticky Mm -hmm. and then get your other bits ready so we've got some gherkins some gouda cheese slices and a little bit of mustard get some nice little mini rolls and then once the beef comes out you shred that up and then stack them like little burgers into these little stacks and they're a nice substantial bit of food yeah. that people I hope will really enjoy yeah uh, I, I mean I'm not complaining but you do need a napkin yes yeah <laughs> I don't have a napkin. You do need a napkin. Yeah, you do need a napkin. <laughs> and now, the, oh, the prawns. How hard are they to make? So these are kind of my favourite mm. Christmas canapé, or for any party, to be honest. These are kind of lovely tiger prawns coated in a coconut and breadcrumb batter. Um, they're actually not too difficult to make because you can make them a little bit ahead if you want to. So you need to get your three little little containers out, one with flour and a bit of chilli powder in that flour as well, one with a beaten egg and one with breadcrumbs and kind of desiccated coconut mixed together and then you take your prawns and you dip first in the flour then in the egg then in the breadcrumbs onto a plate yeah do that with all of your prawns and then heat up your deep frying oil and get that going and these are the kind of thing that you'd want to be doing kind of at your party or just before so they're nice and hot because they're best when they're fresh okay and the dip is gorgeous the 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 what is it the mango mayonnaise it is it's a mango mayonnaise and again this is a little bit of a cheat you have to have these cheats these kind of yeah, sneaky of tips up yeah. your sleeve so you literally take normal mayonnaise and then a waitress mango amber sauce which is lovely kind of tangy hot mango sauce that gets mixed in with your mayonnaise a bit of lime juice and then that's good to go delicious as always if you want the recipes you go to our instagram account at virgin radio uk and stab away there and you'll get them the graham norton radio show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. The trolley has been parallel parked. It's in. <laughs> Martha has arrived. Hello, Martha. Hello. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Well, I'm all the better for seeing you. Uh, <laughs> what do you bring us today? Well, today I've got some dessert options. So tomorrow, yesterday, sorry, we had our savoury party food bits. Yes. And this is kind of part two, the sweet section of okay. your table. Yeah. So I've got a lovely sweet dessert, which is really easy to prepare, but looks really impressive. It does look very impressive. And and then a classic cheese board. Uh, what is that uh, delicious dessert that is, looks very impressive? So these are some lemon meringue pots. So it's a lemon posset on the bottom and then some meringue and ginger nut biscuits on the top. Served in a little tiny single serving. <laughs> yes. So you could you could have a tray. You could hand them around with a, a spoon in each one, couldn't you? Absolutely. So these yeah. are kind of part of the substantial canapé option. I've got five recipes for substantial canapés in this week's Waitrose Weekends. So this is one of them. This is the dessert option. And it's brilliant because you can make it ahead. The posset is so easy to make, but it tastes like one of those desserts that would take you hours. And it's really silky and creamy. And people will love it. And ideally, how many cheeses would you have on a cheese board? So I've gone for five cheeses today. Wowza. I think five is quite a good number because you can fit it all on your little plate at the same time. If you go any more, it can be a bit overwhelming unless you've got a huge party and any less. You know, you just want a few, you want a few different types, but I'll run through all the cheeses that I've put together and all the little accompaniments as well. So uh, talk us through how to make the. Uh, they look so impressive. They taste like proper cooking has gone into mm. these. Uh, so how do you make a lemon posset pot with a meringue top? 
So when you look at a lemon posset, you think, oh, that's gelatin, that's all these faffy things that I haven't got time to think about at Christmas. But posset is amazing because it's literally five ingredients for the whole thing. So you need to take double cream and caster sugar, yeah. heat it together in a saucepan until it's dissolved and is one kind of continuous liquid. And then in goes your lemon juice. Stir it, it will naturally thicken because of some amazing science between the lemons and the sugar and the cream. Great. Pour it into your pots, into the fridge for at least three hours, and that's the posset completely done. And then I've made an Italian meringue on top. So we've got egg whites and a sugar syrup that get whipped together. But if that sounds a bit complicated for you, you can buy ready-made meringues, crush them over the top, take some ginger nut biscuits, crush them on top as well. And that's your dessert done. Wow, but did you use something fancy with your meringue? Did you burn it with a bunted burner or something? I have blowtorched my meringue. You could, oh. you can grill. You can also grill. I feel like that's a more universal method, but it is fun to get the blowtorch out. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Give a little toast. Yeah, I've bought so many of those blowtorches and then I can never refill them. <laughs> they run out and then I was like, well, that's like, that. Uh, there. Yeah. It's empty. Yeah. yeah, like all the, you know, those candle lighters that you yes, buy. Yes. Never refill those either. <laughs> uh, okay, that's that. I mean, that's so quick and easy and impressive. Mm -hmm. um, that will thrill people. Uh, your cheese board. For five cheeses, uh, one is particularly impressive. You've baked one. Yes. So the one in the middle, I always think you need a centrepiece cheese, something that people go, ooh, wow, <laughs> that looks good, um, to draw people in. So the middle of this cheese board is a baked camembert with a truffle and acacia honey on the top. You can buy these in Waitrose and they have the honey and the truffle all mixed together in a sachet underneath. So you just squiggle that on top and but, bake yeah, it. Yeah, don't forget it's there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, melted plastic and truffle and yeah, honey. Yeah, that's your turkey giblets right there. <laughs> so that goes on the top and it bakes it into this lovely molten centrepiece. Then I've got four cheeses around it, a classic kind of um, Cornish quartz cheddar, which has lovely little crystals in there. We've got a smoked red fox Leicester um, red cheese, which is really beautiful. A Stilton. And one of my favourite Christmas pairings is Stilton with Christmas cake. Now, on your recommendation, <laughs> I had some of that. You did. And it tastes good. It does taste nice. It's got the Graham seal of approval. Yeah. I think this is great because I find Christmas cake a bit too sweet sometimes. But Stilton, because it's so kind of salty and tangy, it works really nicely. Not with the icing. Take Eat the icing first and then yeah. have the rest of the cake. <laughs> We've got a creamy cheese i think you always need a nice creamy cheese this is a briat savaran on the board and then that's the cheese board uh, okay quickly uh how long do you need to get cheese out of a fridge before you put it on a table that is a great question it's like i've set you up for that one but i haven't but at least half an hour so cheese needs to be room temperature to have all those lovely flavors releasing yeah. um beautifully at the right temperature so yeah make sure up up to two hours really but kind of half an hour at least and what do you do do you do sweet first then cheese or do you do cheese then sweet Oh, I think I'd probably do sweet first and then cheese because yeah. then you can have another glass of wine. That's what I think. I, th I think cheese is the thing that spreads on and you keep chatting. And, and then yeah. you realise you're still hungry when you didn't even realise you but had the French, anything But the French thing left. is you do the, the cheese first, isn't oh, it? Oh, do they? I think, I, I think I you do know. the cheese first in France and then you have the, the sweet and then it's like good night. I feel like Christmas is just a kind of a roller coaster of just eating sweet, savoury, sweet, savoury and then sleeping and then doing the same thing the next day. Uh, thank you very much, Martha. <laughs> Details of all the food you hear about on the programme can be found on our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK. Log on there and just stab away and you'll eventually find some receipts and uh, details. Uh, listen. The Wheelie Merry Christmas wheel cannot be far away. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. He is a top comic. He's had such successful comedy specials, huge successful ones, uh, Dark, Jigsaw, X, and now he's got a book out. It's called Everyone You Hate Is Going To Die. His name is Daniel Sloss and he's on the line now. Hello. Hello. Hi, how are you? 
I'm very well. How are you? I'm all right, thanks for asking. Thank you for Just your... Just all right? Yeah, thanks for your genuine interest. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I always like to make sure, because sometimes I can be a chore to interview, so I just like to make sure you're emotionally prepared. <laughs> I, I feel I am. I mean, the this what's good about this title of this book is it kind of, you know, no-one can go into this book not knowing <laughs> what they're <Yes>. going to get. <laughs> I, well, look, I still pitch it as a self-help book, and I maintain that everyone you hate is going to die is a very positive message unless you're Buddhist, in which case you've got inner peace and congrats on that. But for the rest of us, your enemies dying is objectively a good thing, I think. Well, it's fantastic, I think. It's a, it, there's a real solace and comfort to be taken in that, isn't it? I mean, the trick is that they you want them to die before you, though. <laughs> Yes, of course. That you have to outlive them. That's the, people say success is the ultimate form of revenge, and I don't think it is. I think it's reading their name in the obituary. I think that's the ultimate goal. <laughs> yes, I remember. I, I remember going to a showbiz funeral once, and there was a very old man at it, and you knew that he was just thrilled. <laughs> he was thrilled. <laughs> he was just taking little notches on his arm, just to, like taking them all off. <laughs> But you jokingly say it's like a self-help book, but it is a self-help book. I mean, it, it, you you genuinely, you you do have something to say. You do have a kind of a take on life that you want to share in a very funny way, but you do want to kind of get messages out there. Yes, I do. But in the same sense, I also understand that my opinions are probably some in the world that should be the least respected. I mean, I'm still entitled to them, but that doesn't mean they're valid, correct or reasonable. So I'll put them out there. And if people go, oh, that's a good point, then great. And then if everyone goes, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, I just go, yeah, I'm a comedian. What did you expect? But but the problem is kind of your success has kind of created a monster because you have had, yes. you have had this thing where you've caused you know, thousands of, of couples and marriages and engagements to break up. Yes, the jigsaw on Netflix went very sort of cult uh, because it was originally just meant to be like this love letter to single people to say, look, there's nothing wrong with taking time and, and being selfish and working out who you are before you force yourself into a relationship. And it was, I just sort of wrote it because I'd gotten out of a, toxic relationship and the the relief I felt was palpable and I was like I, I want to share this with all the other people not in good relationships obviously I've never broken up a healthy couple in my life it's not like there was like a mother and father with four kids <laughs> and their son makes them watch it on Christmas day and even though they've been together for 25 years the dad just turns around and goes oh my god this little <laughs> Scottish alcoholic is right I've been living a lie my entire life this has to end like I'm not people in healthy relationships agree with Jigsaw. In fact, the thing I never mention or I rarely mention is it's also led to about a thousand engagements and I know there's at least five children that I've caused but that's not as funny. <laughs> no, that's, that's <laughs> heartwarming. Where's, where's yeah. the joy in that? <laughs> and that's not my brand. My brand isn't heartwarming. <laughs> it's, it's everyone you hate is going to die. Um, so, in the book, there are it's broken into chapters and topics. How did you choose the topics? Was it kind of things that you, in the back of your head, you thought, well, I've got a bit of material on that. I'm sure I can beef that into a chapter. Or did you sit down and kind of go, right, what are the things in the world I need to address? 
neither of those. Okay. The, <laughs> Random House Publishing came up to me and they said, do you want to write a book? And I said, no, that's a stupid idea. I'm, I'm a comedian, not an author. And, and they were like, well, that's not stopped anyone else. And I was like, fair point, fair point. I'll take that on board. And he was just like, look, you've got some very interesting opinions on relationships. He didn't say correct. He said interesting. And in show business, I know what that means. It means wrong, but sellable. <laughs> so he's like, you've got some very interesting opinions on relationships. If I give you like the, the relationship to write about, whether it's your siblings, whether it's your relationship with your parents, your relationship with yourself, your country, with alcohol can you just write some you know rants and your views on on these relationships and i mean i never man i'm just a comedian that's my one skill and i'm and i'm and i love it and i'm very grateful um and it was it was a very ex- challenging but exciting thing to do and i didn't get enough feedback as well like i like i was really hoping like you know when you used to do homework in school and you'd write an essay and the teacher would like she would mark all the grammar but she would then tell you that you know it wasn't in depth enough or this bit was too rude or whatever like he just i put stuff in there specifically just for them to edit out because the thing i've learned from doing comedy on television is always give the editors something to cut out so that they feel like they've done their job and then you can keep the actual jokes you want in. So whenever I'm doing TV comedy, I always put in two horrendous jokes that I know will never make it to air. The lawyers come back and they go, you can't say these. And I go, oh no, censorship, blah, blah, blah. And then I can say the actual things I want to say. So I did that with this book and he kept them all in. He was like, this is all fine. And and then there was this awkward moment where during the editing process, I had to go back to him being like, I don't want this bit in there. Like, I don't believe what I wrote there. I just did it. So your lawyers would call me on it. And he was like, well, you've written it now. It's in there. I have to say, if people uh, if people don't like strong language, you probably this is probably isn't the book for you. Uh, no, no, man. If you, uh, the thing I always say to people, especially if you've never heard of me before, please go and watch my Netflix specials. And if it's not for you, man, I totally get that. Comedy is subjective, especially my comedy. If it's not for you, please do not waste your money or my time <laughs> with by coming to my show or reading my work that you're not going to enjoy. Joy. Well, no, I'm the great rude, thing about them buying I'm a book, horrible. though, is if they buy a book, though, you've got the money and you don't have them sitting in glum silence. You can't see them not enjoying your book. That's the joy of a book. Ah, yeah, but we live in the world of the internet now, so that's not enough for people. People oh. can't just not enjoy things. They have to then go <laughs> online and tell you. And the thing is, I'm not really on social media. Like, I don't. my mum does my Facebook and my agent does my Twitter. Like, I just don't care. So if you're sending me horrible messages on Twitter, please understand you're just upsetting my mother. That's all that's happening. Wow. I'm not reading anything. <laughs> <laughs> Pictures of kittens. Uh, Daniel, you've found huge success in America, and I love love your chapter on America. I think like you really, really, really get that country. Things, you know, that you know that thing that I, I, I couldn't express them and then you've expressed them. I love it. But tell us about going to, you went to the Trump inauguration. Yes, yes, we did. Because uh, not, to, not to support him. It wasn't like, oh God, I've got to be there for this. <laughs> I was booked to do a comedy club out there. And uh, my the guy that was supporting me, a great comedian called uh, Eric Lampere, was like, do you know we're in Washington for Trump's inauguration? And I was like, no way. Like, we have to go. And, like, and not because I support Trump, but, like, in a really horrible way. And I, like, 
we thought he was going to get shot. Like, I was like, if, if any president's going to get shot, it's, it's going to be Trump. And, you know, I don't agree with somebody being shot, but, like, you know, I, I want to be part of history. So Of course. <laughs> we we go down there and like they check our bags for guns and and everything and they like confiscate my e-seg and like I'd been told by the media that all Trump supporters were like racist bigots and Fox News and don't get me wrong I absolutely saw several thousand of those people but then I also I just wanted to talk to people that were on the other side of the political spectrum and, and try and understand where they were coming from. Um, and there was one, I met uh, an African-American man who was selling uh, Make America Great Again hats, which were made in China, which is phenomenal. <laughs> and it said in the label, Made in China. <laughs> and I was like, I have to ask, do you actually support Donald Trump? And he was like, no, I'm just here to make money off of idiots. So I gave him 50 bucks because I'm an idiot and I wanted the hat. <laughs> And was it as, was it, because, you know, the, the, I remember at the time, all that stuff, about it, it was the largest crowd ever. And oh. then you look at television and it looked kind of half empty. What was it Nonsense. like on the ground? I was like, so when we were there, we arrived 20 minutes before his speech. And I'm not exaggerating when I said, man, we got to the front within five <laughs> minutes, directly to the front, right up to the barrier where the cage was. The bit across the road from us were, were all the VIPs. But... When we afterwards, when we saw the aerial footage comparison compared to the Obama inauguration, we were like, "Oh my God!" Like that literally should have stretched for kilometers behind us, but it didn't. And then he started tweeting, being like, "It was the largest thing. It was rammed." I was like, "Man, we could have had seven games of football end to end, <laughs> eleven aside with audience members in, and nothing would have happened." And it, man, it was very toxic because obviously there was uh, the, uh, there was lots of people very much against uh, the the Trump because president and there was lots of people who were angry at the protesters and for a full day I was like oh man I think Washington's horrible like this is just a very toxic atmosphere but then the next day was the the women's march um, and we went on that and that was literally and as somebody was there for both events four times the size of Trump's crowd yeah. and it was just nicer like there was children on people's shoulders it was you know there were kids running around everywhere feeling safe there was no toxicity it was just a bit I, I it, it re restored my faith in Washington a little bit and yeah and just America's just a big place like, there's, a, yeah. there's a lot of everybody <laughs> the only like the, the thing that people don't understand about America is it's not the same country the only thing Americans have in common with each other is that they all think they're American but there is as much a difference between the states as there is between countries in Europe but for some reason it's the, and it is the most impressive thing about America is the fact that I mean even though they're incredibly divided that they all think they're united under this one banner but it's it's a mental place and that's why i don't like people that generalize americans i mean and i don't get me wrong i do it sometimes in my stand-up for comedic effect but it's a country of 300 million people yeah and 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 they're all undereducated <laughs> <laughs> um, listen we must mention your tour uh hubris i have trouble yes. with my h's being irish uh are you on it at the moment i saw an ad but there was a big ad in the sunday papers today Yes, uh, so we've still got a couple of dates left tonight. I'm in uh, Nottingham uh, on Tuesday is Norwich and then next week uh, get to do the Apollo for uh, the first time in my career, which is very, very exciting.
And if you uh, want to try and get tickets, you can. You can go to www.danielsloss, all one word, uh, .com slash tour. Am I correct? Yes. Excellent. Yes. And again, pl- if you've never heard of me, please, for the love of God, do not buy a ticket randomly. It's free on Netflix. Go watch that and then buy a ticket. I'm s- Just don't take the risk. I'm not worth it. I'm fundamentally not worth it. I'll greatly upset you, I promise. Before you invest in a babysitter, do yes, your research. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. Or they could buy Everyone You Hate Is Going To Die, your uh, book, which is out now. Uh, Daniel- you see, this is why you're the best at this. You see, that was so smooth. Straight oh, yeah. In. Seamless, baby. Uh, listen, good luck to you. Enjoy the rest of your tour. Congratulations on the book and have a lovely Christmas. Take care of yourself. Thank you very much. You All too, right, buddy. Cheers, Daniel. Bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio. Time to say hello to second guest. Uh, Lauren Child returns. It's uh, Clarice Bean, Think Like an Elf. It's been a long time. <laughs> has been a very long, long time. time. What? Yeah. What? Because like, there must be people now who who had read this as a kid and now they have kids. They have children. Yes. So it's the right time to bring her back. Yeah. It's a nostalgia trip. Yeah. <laughs> and what? How did it happen? Why did I? Why did I bring her? Yeah. Back? Or just how? Yes. Exactly. Um. Because I. Well, I'd always meant to write more, and then other things happened, and and I I did the sort of Charlie and Lola TV thing, and that sort of took over for a while, and then I. I felt like I wanted to write older, and and so I wrote a series called Ruby Redfort, and that took seven years, and then it's just what happens. And because she's got such a distinctive voice, uh-huh. you know, it's it's unmistakably her <laughs> and her view of the world. Do you like? Is it there on tap? Can you just kind of? Is there something in your head? Or you open a door and that's her voice that comes out, or do you have to sit there waiting for it to arrive? <laughs> no, it's. I think it's my voice. I think. I think. I think we've become. Is this one your, with, is this I, your view I of think the this world? Is, this is my view of the world. I think we think the same, but uh, you're allowed to say it if you're a child. <laughs> uh, so uh, tell us, what is thinking like an elf? Why does she uh, discover this kind of philosophy? It happened entirely by accident because I I never plot my books I never know where they're going and so I just write a sentence and I thought this child the way she thinks she would introduce the big topic of Christmas by talking about tea towels so she says something like you know you can tell when it's getting to be Christmas because my mum gets out the Christmas elf tea towels and then uh, (laughs) and then that became I realised as I was writing that that was the whole point of the story actually that it's about adjusting your thinking so she's very, very disappointed because her parents say that they're exhausted. They don't want lots of people to come for Christmas. If she has 19 people for Christmas, that's 114 potatoes that you've got to peel. So <laughs> so her parents say, if you want to do it, then you can do it. And so she realises Christmas is going to be a write-off. And then someone talks to her and says, well, it's all about your attitude. So think like an elf. And this is a book that I think... I'm, I'm, I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying. But I think... Children would read this for themselves. This is one of the. This is a book you hold your by yourself and you read yourself. I think either way, you can either read it aloud as a family, or yeah, read it read it on your own. And what does it look like 
when you hand it to the publisher? Because obviously one of the joys of this book is the way that the illustrations and the layout and, you know, it's mm. a, your eye is led through it. Yeah. Uh, what do you give the publisher? <laughs> I give, well, I work with the designer. So I, I, first of all, I give them the words just as a manuscript. Yeah. Um, and then I work very closely with the designer so on this this book, I I work with a designer called Goldie, and she's 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 so used to working with me. So I'll give her a sort of a design the size of a a postage stamp with really teeny weeny drawings on, and just say text here. And I've got a sort of idea for how I want it. You know, it goes round a bit, and 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 then she comes back with, okay, Lauren, I think we can might be able to do it like this, and we go back and forth and back and forth until we've got it. The yeah. way we want it. Oh, so that's interesting. So you yeah. do see it in your head. Mm. But at what stage do you see it in your head? Are you seeing it in your head as you're writing as that I'm first? As I'm writing, yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah, I do, yeah. So um, so I I, read, I don't have to do very detailed pictures because I've got them in my, in my bonds. But, yeah. um, but obviously the publisher doesn't know what's in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily I have a very good designer who knows what and, I'm after. And you instinct, do you kind of instinctively know, oh, the reader will want to see that illustrated, but actually they won't want to see that. Yeah, because you're quite right. You have to pick and choose, and there's a hundred illustrations in this book. But even so, you're editing out. You know what? What am I going to show? What am I not going to show? So some of them are scene setters. So you really show what does their street look like in great detail, and some of them are. You know, it's a picture of a of a soup bowl with macrobiotic soup in, because that's telling you something about this family, you know, the yeah. way that they eat very particularly. Um, so, and then you're some of them, they're like jokes. So you, you really, really want to show it because it's funny, like the boy being squashed under a Christmas tree and, um, <laughs> and that sort of thing. So you, you can't show everything. And when you write this book, I mean, I think when anybody writes a book, you know, you you want to show it to your friends or an editor or whatever. You show it to people, they're test readers. Do you have young test readers? Do you have kind of young people who read these books and kind of go, yeah? <laughs> no, because that's what that way madness lies. Because, uh, you know, if you start worrying about what every child's going to think <laughs> and they usually tell you if you show it to children, they'll usually tell you what you want to hear. And I find... Um, not afterwards. They'll they'll say, "Oh, I thought this bit was a bit boring." But they... <laughs> now that you've published it, <laughs> <laughs> yes, now it's too late. But no, I don't. I there there are there are people like my sister. I often get her to read. She's got a very good sort of editorial brain. So she'll she'll say, "What are you trying to What are you trying to say?" And um, and I'll I'll say, "Well, I'm trying to say this," and she'll say, "Well, you're not saying it." And then I'll I'll go back and. And try again. And also, your yeah. confidence must be enormous now because you've had such success. You must kind of think, well, actually, shut up. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's such a sweet thing to say. I think, <laughs> I think I go back and forth with that. So sometimes it's, oh, shut up, and sometimes it's like, oh no, this is terrible. So... <laughs> Worst book ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a gorgeous book. Think like an elf. It's out now in hardback. What happens when you become the uh, children's laureate? You were the. Am I right? Yes, I was. Yeah. 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 So what? What do you do? What happens? Well, the idea really, you're you're allowed to come up with. Um, I don't know. You you get to talk to a lot of people, and I quite enjoyed it, in fact, because because often as a children's writer or illustrator, it's as if you can't have grown-up thoughts about things. Um, so you're always there talking about, 
your book or, you know, but in your book in a very particular way, which is the storytelling way, rather than talking about the ideas behind it and, you know, how you feel about um, the importance of children's literature, anything to do with children, actually, because I feel those childhood experiences go into your bones and that they're very, very important in the way they form you. But yet we don't take it very seriously. Well, isn't it interesting, though, that books haven't gone away for children? Like, children still love books. Absolutely, because it's story. And it's the same as a really good television show or a really good um, piece of theatre or cinema. They're, They're story, and we love story. Human beings love story, and children love story. But books are particularly powerful because you can go there on your own and sort of into this world all on your own. And how did you come to children's books? How did that happen? It's totally by accident. I didn't want to be a children's writer or illustrator, but um, I was writing something for film. Actually, the the first Clarice Bean I was writing was possibly an adult sort of a film pitched for adults. And um, and then someone said, oh, do you know, I think this could work as a children's book. So that's really as it was that accidental. Wow. Uh, Yes. I mean, that's, that is amazing. <laughs> and now here we are 20-something years later yeah. and you're still going. Yeah, still going. <laughs> <laughs> going and thriving and thriving. <laughs> um, and when did you kind of realise, oh, I have a knack for this. this? I actually am very good at this. Oh, I don't know. I think it's just because I'd failed at so many things before. <laughs> and, you saw, and the brilliant thing about failing at things is that you realise when you're not failing anymore because people talk to you differently and people are interested in a different way. So that's that's what happened. You're not begging. <laughs> I'm not begging. And, I, yeah, and I, was, I was sort of making lampshades with my friend Andrew and we were doing that for, for a while and that just wasn't going anywhere. But we had great fun. That's such a London story. Isn't it? I know. <laughs> Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll make lampshades. Lampshades. People always need lampshades. They always need lampshades, don't they? (laughs) So so you had some sort of background in film. No, no, didn't at all. I just was passionate about it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So what a joy then to start Mm. working, to do the TV series. Yeah, that was really interesting. Um, And it was, it was, it was a joy. It was also the hardest, the hardest I've ever worked. You know, it was really... A lot of work. And I suppose you're, I was going to say, was it hard suddenly being collaborative? But I guess you're always collaborative because you're working with designers and people like that. You're right, although you're collaborative in a different way. So it's sort of 50 people as opposed to sort of three or four. (laughs) And it's also, you know, TV companies saying, I don't think we can have Lola standing on a chair because she might fall off and she's made of paper. She, it's fine, <laughs> but you still, you have to, yeah, you have that to do those things. That must be so frustrating. Yes. She wasn't allowed to do a forward roll unless we had a very thick, spongy mattress underneath her. And yeah, it was things like that. And what's that about? Is that because people are afraid you're going to be sued? I guess. I mean, I, I mean, I never really got into it. But we, but, we, <laughs> but it's weird that <laughs> but in, a, but, but in the books... She could do all that stuff. She can do it in the books, but in in the TV show, she always had to wear a helmet if she was scootering or on a bike. In the books, no, it's fine. Isn't that strange? Yeah, it's very strange. Publishers don't care. No, they don't care. She was allowed to eat loads of biscuits in the books as well. Oh, and on telly couldn't eat biscuits uh, no, either. It was little banana chips. In the, in the TV series. Oh, the joy is gone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the joy is gone. <laughs> uh, this book is out in shelves now. Think, in shops now. Think like an elf. And it's just the perfect Christmas book. I mean, it lent 
you know, imagine opening that. People will be just so delighted. Oh, thank yeah. you. And also, presumably, like I say, the, like there must be people now who have, you know, the old books, the old books, you yeah. know, books that are 20 years old on a shelf and kind of they're handing them on. Yes, let's hope so. It's really nice. I, I, in fact, I was at a signing yesterday and someone had bought their very, very tatty book and I really like that. Oh, yeah. but it's very important they buy the new one as well. It is. <laughs> no, really, uh, yes, yes, very please. important. <laughs> yeah, she does not want to return to lampshade making. <laughs> no one does. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the plan for 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ernest, it's absolutely lovely to meet oh, you. Thank you very much for coming you. in. Uh, Lauren Child, uh, Clara's been Think Like an Elf, out in the hardback now. Uh, Merry Christmas. Take care of yourself. You. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, for the Waitrose Wheelie Merry Christmas competition, starting with Saturday's competition. Oh, the music's playing. Surely it is Christmas time. It's time for the Wheelie Merry Christmas competition. Ten waitress prizes on the wheel up for grabs today, including a bronze feathered free-range turkey. You could get a brown butter mince pies or Corvoisier cognac, waitress hamper, or all your food paid for in December. If you're really lucky, you could win everything on the wheel. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot. And I think we'll probably throw in the wheel uh, because you know, competition's over. Uh, Martha, you all ready? I am ready. Look, she's so strong and fit. She's, she's, oh, really, she's been in training. Uh, all right, uh, let's find our first caller. Uh, I think it's Joe. Hello, Joe. Hello, Graham. Hi. Where are you? I'm in Oldborough in Suffolk. Oh, beautiful. Gorgeous part of the mm. world. Uh, so are you very nervous? Uh, very, very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> the excitement, the excitement. Well, no, it's one of those competitions is you're going to win something and, you know, and we're everything crossed that it's going to be something good. Well, they're oh, all alcoholic. good. They're all good, but we want you to get something big. Okay. okay. But before you can play, I need you to answer this question correctly. Okay, here we go. Okay. <laughs> you don't sound very, you don't sound so confident, Joe. You're fine. <laughs> you will get this. You will know this. The Pogues... The Pogues and Kirsty McCall had a big Christmas hit with a fairy tale of which American city? New York. You are correct! Yes! Okay. That wins you nothing. Uh, right, let's go. Martha? I'm ready. Now, uh, now, what did you do last week? Because it was very lucky last week. Did you give it a very big, strong spin or a, so a gentle spin? Last week, me and Stephen spun the wheel together and oh. that resulted in... A very good prize. But how did you spin it together? I don't well, understand that. Oh, you do it. You you do it. I I have confidence. Happens. I think you are the lucky charm. You go. Are you go. ready? Here you go. Here you go. Go and oh, it's off. It's off, Joe. It's spinning wildly. I mean, spinning. Martha doesn't know her own strength. It nearly came off the pole. Okay, it's spinning. It's spinning. It's spinning. It's, what, are we, what are we stopping at? We were stopping at. You have got. Well, weirdly, I said this would happen. You got what Maria got when she spotted earlier. You got the bottle of Pui Fume wine. Oh, very nice. Very, Martha's keen. I think that sounds good. That's the third time that one's come up today. So, who, uh, who, who might you be uh, sharing your bottle of Pui Fume wine with? Is there anyone you'd like to say hello to? Um, no, just <laughs> I'm never going to speak of this again. I, <laughs> I wanted to win all my shopping for December and I got a bottle of wine. 
Uh, listen, you, the good thing is you haven't used up your luck on this competition. Uh, you've got a lot of good luck in the bank. Uh, you'll be fine. And you get a bottle of wine. I mean, how, you know, you did Thank nothing. You. you sat in your house, you, te- you texted the word Christmas, and now you've got yeah. some wine. It's all good. It's all Thank good. You. All right. Listen, Merry Christmas to you. I think we're Thank allowed you. to say that now, aren't we? Yes, we are. All right. Thank you very much, Joe. Happy Christmas. Thank you. Uh, okay. There goes Joe. And a big thank you to Martha for spinning the wheel so well. Nice I, I say so well. You got a bottle of wine. I mean, that was. I mean, my it's best nice effort. wine, but you know. Okay, T- tomorrow, tomorrow. Redeeming on Sunday. We are going to do it again tomorrow. And <laughs> uh, I, I, I have a feeling in my water. Someone's got to win big on Sunday. When did they win big last weekend? Was it, was it Sunday? Was Sunday? It was Sunday. Sunday fun day. Okay, <laughs> okay. That's we're going for it. They're going to win big on Sunday. All right. That was the. Uh, uh, it's got a big name. Wheelie Merry Christmas competition. That's what it's called. Wheelie Merry Christmas. Uh, with Waitrose. Let's see how Sunday went. Yes, that Christmas music means we're playing the Wheelie Merry Christmas competition. We've got this Wheel of Fortune, 10 Waitrose prizes on the wheel up for grabs, including this £50 Waitrose voucher, a bottle of Malbec, there's that Camembert that we just talked about with the truffle and acacia honey, or all your food paid for in December, and if you're really lucky, you could win everything on the wheel. Martha's standing by. I'm ready. She is ready. Mmm, sleeves rolled up. <laughs> uh, okay, playing right now is our first caller. His name is Matt. Hello, Matt. Hi there. Hi, where are you? Um, I'm in Crowthorne. Where's that? Um, it's, it's in Berkshire, like near uh, Reading, Windsor, that kind of thing. Okay, I'll find you. Okay, <clears> great. <laughs> and uh, what are you up to this Sunday, Matt? Um, I'm cooking, so we, we do meal prep for kind of our lunches during the week and everything. So, what your own lunches? So, do you work in a? Yeah, so I, I go into the office. So we do um, make like kind of salads and stuff to take in with us. Oh, wow, I mean that is so organised. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing you're going to do well on this wheel. You're you're that kind of man. All right, Hopefully. let's uh, let's see if you are going to play. The question you have to answer is this one: complete. The opening line of this classic Christmas song, uh, sung by Bing Crosby. I'm dreaming of a... White Christmas. I believe you're correct. Yes, you are correct. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Matt, uh, Martha, go on. Give it a good... Give it some welly. Oh, she's really gone for it. Okay, the wheel is spinning. What will Matt win? Okay, it's really spinning. Well, Martha, can I just say, best spin I've seen you do. Oh, thank you very okay, much. Okay, here we go, here we go. Here we go, go, go. Oh. Oh. You've won. <laughs> We're not very good at this, are we, Martha? Woo! It's Stephen Mulhern. Stephen Mulhern was the master. But listen, Matt, what you've won yeah. is you've won a Gruyere fondue. Mm, cheesy. <laughs> Brilliant. The theme of the morning has been cheese. Yeah, cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Matt's got some cheese. You can take that into lunch on Thursday. A Gruyere fondue. What are you having for lunch, Matt? Gruyere fondue. <laughs> um, is there any... Congratulations, first of all. And is there anyone you'd like to say hello to while you're on the radio? Um, so I'll say hello to my girlfriend, Kate. Does she like fondue? <laughs> yeah. She does yeah, now. Yeah, really like cheese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, listen, I hope the two of you have... Uh, actually, do you know what? That's quite a romantic... I think Gruyere fondue is quite a romantic thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it is really nice. I've tried this Gruyere fondue from Waitress and it's 
She's on message. She's on message. Mark is on message. Well, listen, enjoy, enjoy your fondue. Thanks for playing the wheelie, the wheelie, uh, Chris, wheelie Merry Christmas game. Uh, Matt, take care of yourself. Merry Christmas. Awesome. Thank you. Merry Christmas. All right. Bye. What a busy weekend. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can hear a new episode of the best of bits from the show from Monday morning. Speak to you soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's a Waitrose Christmas. Virgin Radio.